Welcome to the Words Over Ice Show. Have a drink, whether glass mug or styrofoam. Get my best up to Ray, he's the right host. And Matt James on a sarcastic tightrope. Then there's Jason, full of opinions. Co-host with brains and the boldest intentions. Ali, that's the man making profits. Greg and Duke join us talking controversial topics. You know it get real in these interviews. We talk about it all when we bring a news. Rolling with the punches, a one-two combo. The Words Over Ice Show. Let's have a convo. All right, welcome back, everybody. Just wanted to remind you all that we have our second edition of the Q&A question and answer that we did with you guys coming up in a few weeks. So be sure to get those questions in ASAP. You can shoot them over to me uh, via email, which is ray at wordsovericeshow.com, or you can DM us through uh, Instagram, which is at the Words Over Ice Show. It was a lot of fun, so we're looking forward to this next round of questions. And uh, with that said, we'll jump into today's episode. Hope you enjoy. All right, well, let's welcome H.G. Tudor. Thank you for joining us, H.G. I know it took us a bit. We were uh, Our schedules were a little bit conflicting over the past month, but uh, glad to have you here, and thanks for joining us. Pleasure to invite me here, and I'm glad that I've finally been able to arrive. So thank you for inviting me onto the show. Uh, it's our absolute pleasure. Trust me, H.G., we have been waiting for this one, uh, so excited to have you on. But before we get rolling, why don't you just give our audience a little bit of a, a background okay. of who you are and, and what you do? Okay, well, hello, listeners. My name is H.G. G. Tudor, not my real name. It's a pseudonym. My real name is Closely Guarded Secret. And I'm here <laughs> in the offices of speaking to you all as a narcissistic psychopath who writes extensively about what that means, how I interact with people, and how my kind operate in the world to give people greater understanding of what that means and how it impacts upon them. I've written over 50 books on the subject. I operate a blog called Neg the Narcissist, which can be found at narcsite.com, and appear on various social media outlets in terms of YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And I deal with people's queries and concerns arising out of their ensnarements with my kind in terms of romantic entanglements, uh, business entanglements, familial discord, etc., and I've created the world's leading resource in terms of giving answers to the various questions. And so I've been kindly invited on here today to talk more about the topic. So that's who I am. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons we wanted you on here is because it's kind of a trendy, trendy word these days, right? To call people Mm -hmm. a narcissist and Mm -hmm. you hear it all over the place. Um, I've been called one, Jay. I don't know if you've been called one. Um, <laughs> I'm sure somewhere, but I probably wasn't listening to that shit. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, then they were right about you then. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you know, self-diagnosed. Um, well, not yes, self-diagnosed, no. I have been diagnosed by pro- psychologists. Pro- uh, what's okay, well, <clears throat> even better. A lot of people make the mistake of saying I'm self-proclaimed. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, it okay. is diagnosed, yeah. This is diagnosed. Okay. Hmm. So my mistake, but yeah, I wanted to get you on just to, um, to kind of clear, clear the air about Mm -hmm. what a narcissist is. And Mm -hmm. again, you know, people are, you Google it and and anyone can fit into the category of a narcissist. I think we all all have narcissistic traits to some degree. That's right. Um, but to, but to be classified and diagnosed, I think Mm -hmm. is a different, Mm -hmm. whole different thing. So I wanted to get you on here so you can like I said, clear the air and, and, you know, what that exactly means. So what, how did you come about even 
being diagnosed and what, you know, what prompted it? Like, what would, you know, talk to us about that. Okay. Well, I've always known that I've been set apart from other people in terms of my behaviors from when I was a lot younger. And over time, um, as a consequence of things that were said to me, and in particular, a former girlfriend of mine who was a psychology graduate was suggested to me that she believed that I was a narcissist and a psychopath. I found the idea entertaining. And some of the things that she mentioned to me made sense. But of course, I made no admission to her there and then, because to do so would be rather foolish. I listened to her and then I went away and did some reading. And I recognized some of the things that she was referring to. And over time, as I've had interaction with further psychologists, for reasons which I go into detail on my blog, which I don't really want to rehearse here because I've mentioned it many, many times, but basically I was involved in interaction with the psychologists who confirmed the diagnosis. So I had an awareness at an early juncture that I behaved differently to people. I had an awareness that I didn't feel particular things in the way that other people described that they did. And I was, if you will, set on the road to that discovery by that former girlfriend and her observations and the confirmation came later. Ultimately, when it comes to people such as myself, as you mentioned, the, the word narcissist does get bandied around a reasonable amount. But actually, mm -hmm. it's quite interesting because the amount that it might be utilized as people see it as some kind of buzzword and what they fail to do is realize just how prevalent our kind are in society and how much we shape the world around you. And people miss it. Um, in a way, although one can talk about an individual that has narcissistic personality disorder as uh, in accordance with what the American Psychiatric Association say in the DSM, when people look at that, they will often scratch their heads and say, yes, but what does this sense of entitlement manifest at? What, what does that actually mean? Um, when it talks about being interpersonally exploitative, what does that look like in day-to-day -day life? And uh, requiring excessive admiration. Well, does that mean that this person needs to stand in the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most handsome or beautiful of them all? Does it mean that I need flunkies mm -hmm. racing around me? And, where it manifests more appropriately is to get people to understand how it impacts upon their own relationships with these individuals in terms of abuse. Many people fail to realize that the behaviors of certain individuals amount to a form of abuse, or if they do, they seem to think that this individual is somehow capable of reining that in, of changing. And the fact is that all individuals are capable of misbehaving, if we can put it that way. You alluded to the fact earlier on that some people have narcissistic traits. Mm. Indeed, everybody does. But many people have emotional empathy. And what that means is that when they interact with other people, they just don't do certain things because they have an inherent sense of a particular way to behave. Okay, so they don't just walk into mm -hmm. somebody's house with an inv invitation. They instinctively recognize that boundary. Okay, they have emotional empathy for the people's circumstances. And similarly, they don't behave in a particular way because they think, well, I can put myself in that person's shoes and I wouldn't like to be treated that way myself, so I won't do it. Now, individuals who don't have emotional empathy don't have the, that form of regulation. 
There can be cognitive empathy, whereby a narcissist works out the way to behave to fit in. And many people make the mistake of thinking that, um, so where you have an individual with emotional empathy, that empathy can be eroded. So that individual could do something unpleasant to somebody else. So for example, you may be a fairly happy-go-lucky kind of chap, but one day because you're exhausted, you turn and snap at one of your friends and you tear a strip off them and you upset him. It wasn't a very pleasant thing to do. It wasn't particularly empathic. However, what caused you to do that? Exhaustion. And so your emotional empathy was temporarily eroded. But when you realize that he's upset, you go, oh, I'm sorry, mate, I didn't mean that. Or, I'm just shattered. You make amends. And more importantly, you don't repeat the behavior. And that is a big indicator for people to identify with in terms of the abusive behavior. Is there a repeated pattern of conduct here? And if there is, and that's a significant red flag. And there are lots of different ways that narcissistic behavior manifests, but one of the crucial aspects of it is to look for this pattern of behavior. And people get fooled because they think, well, once in a while, he comes in and he punches me because he gets worked up because his uh, football team has lost. But the rest of the time, he's really loving and really kind. So I think he's got empathy because he can be really kind to me, but occasionally he beats me up. That person has no emotional empathy because if they keep beating you up every so often, that demonstrates a pattern of abusive behavior. And when you think that individual is being kind and loving, that's just cognitive empathy and is another form of manipulation. But people are conned. They think, oh, he's got an anger management problem. No, that individual is showing the manifestation of ignited fury. You're dealing with a narcissist. She's high maintenance. No, you're dealing with a narcissist. This individual is highly strung. Uh, it's all, uh, always making demands. That customer who you can never satisfy, who moans about everything, no matter how hard you try to please them, nothing is ever right, you're dealing with a narcissist. The next door neighbor who's always complaining about uh, something in your garden, reaching into his garden, or that your kids are kicking the ball over and you can never reach any resolution with them, you're dealing with a narcissist, but people don't realize that is who they're dealing with because those individuals, we have a different perspective on the world to people who are not narcissists, and people don't realize that. Hmm. That's deep. That makes sense, though, because uh, I'm sure that everybody listening has had a moment or two of that. But now you pulled the, the sheets off of the bed, and now people are starting to look at themselves as repeated behavior, like you said. Mm -hmm. You might be a narcissist if you're sitting here, you know, uh, coming to in a moment and saying sorry, but then you turn right back around and beat the shit out of that person. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. Well, exactly. That's exactly. Crazy. So then you're not, you're not, you're not sorry, are you? Because you've gone and done it again. No. Yep. And people often talk Shit. about, you know, actions speak louder than words, but that again is an indicator. We as narcissists love to say things. It's easy. It's easy for me to say to somebody, I love you, but how do, how does that manifest? Is it grandiose right. gestures of it? buying flowers? Are you showing it? And you see, here's where people get conned. They think, oh, you took me to this fancy restaurant and he buys me flowers and he buys me jewelry and he writes me this extravagant poetry and he texts me all of these sugar-coated little bon mots throughout the day. That's not <laughs> love. That is a manifestation of control. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, somebody who writes you a poem every so often that is, a, that is a loving gesture. But somebody that is engaging in, again, these repeated behaviors, what happens is people have been conned into thinking what love is. 
And they believe that love is standing beneath a balcony in the pouring rain, singing to your beloved up on the balcony above. No, it's not. That's a grandiose gesture, which is actually <laughs> designed to control that person. And if you ask that person singing in the rain, oh, you're only doing that to control that person, you'll go, no, I'm not. I love her. And of course, he doesn't know what he is. So he's bound to say, well, no, I love her. He's not going to turn around and go, yes, well, actually, I am a narcissist, but don't tell anybody. And I'm singing this song in the rain because that's perceived by people as romantic, isn't it? Because all of the films that you watch, the books that you read, the television programs, it's littered with our kind. Why? All the pop songs that you listen to, the rock ballads, all of those things, again, littered with our kind. Why is that? Because you're either listening to or watching or reading what a narcissist perceives love to be and therefore describes it in that way, or it's somebody writing about being on the receiving end of it and how they perceive love to be. And what happens is these grandiose um, protestations and um, exhortations of what love ought to be then start to bleed into the mainstream. So people think, well, it, because I'm meant to love this person, then on Valentine's Day, I should be buying them a huge card from Hallmark, box of chocolates, and taking them out right. for a stop at meal. Why? Right, right. Exactly. Mm. I, I, see, I see that point. Exactly. And so, and that's just one example of it where somebody expects, uh, take, for example, this marriage proposals. Okay. If you love that person, it's, you, it's your relationship between you and that other individual. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is not a form of entertainment for the outside world. Okay. And so when that chap proposes to his astonished girlfriend in an auditorium of 700 students with them all whooping and a hollering, okay, he's actually manipulating her. He doesn't think that he's doing it because most manipulators don't realize what they're doing, but he is. Because if he had emotional empathy for her, he would not put her in that position of feeling like she has to say yes in front of several hundred people. He wouldn't be performing a grandiose gesture of getting on the stage and getting down on one knee in front of everybody. He wouldn't then have somebody filming the whole debacle, which he's hoping to shunt onto social media to show, hey, look, everybody, I love her. Those are not manifestations of love. That's a narcissist operating. But what happens, people who aren't narcissists see this and think, Ah, that's how it's meant to be. And it bleeds into the mainstream. Right. Yeah. So all those films, for example, um, Pretty Woman, there's a narcissist sedu seducing the prostitute and then being grandiose and saving her. Wuthering Heights, two narcissists, Heathy and, um, he uh, Kathy and Heathcliff, clashing, two narcissists colliding there. They're everywhere throughout. Uh, Wall Street, Gordon Gecko. there's another narcissist. And some are less obvious. Right. So that, that's a little bit confusing, right? So, mm -hmm. and I see exactly what you're saying, but it, like you said, it bleeds into the mainstream. That's right. Right. So, so people, so it's hard for, for people to spot this. Cause you say, all right, this is how, this is what I'm supposed to do. When you, when you propose, everyone has, even me thinking about it, if I'm going to propose, it's supposed to be, mm. you know, this big ordeal. And, and, and how, like, so how do you separate somebody who's just doing what they think is supposed to be done, uh -huh. right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh -huh. And someone who's actually cognizant of what they're doing. Well, 
again, you'd be looking at the pattern of behaviours. So let's go to our example of the chap who got in the auditorium. If we look back at his behaviours towards his girlfriend, we will have seen a whole range of these uh, con controlling, although he doesn't realise that's what he's doing. So he would have probably, uh, he may well have met her on an online dating site because those are hunting grounds for our kind. And then what he would have done is he would have very swiftly moved to wanting to meet her. And then he would have used such words very quickly in the meeting. He would have given her an early protestation of love declaring that to her mm. and he will have been incessantly texting her and taking her to nice places and you're my soulmate and I've never met anybody like you before and he wants to do anything and everything and he's ultra helpful rather than allowing it to progress in a natural fashion. You see, when you meet somebody ordinarily, you meet them in an environment where you see them, how they interact with people. So you often people meet at work. Why? Because you mm -hmm. get to know the background of that individual. You see them when they're joking with colleagues, when they're under a bit of pressure, you find out a little bit about their background, you know where they work, you find out where they live. And what happens is you will have a social interaction with them beforehand, before there's any romantic interest. And it builds gradually. Why? Because you have empathy for that individual in wanting to understand who they are and similarly for them to understand about you. And so you get to know one another and you find that you've got similar interests or different things, but you know that you like this person and then it grows and it moves at a slow pace with nobody pushing it. But what often happens now, people go onto various applications and dating sites where they meet somebody who is only giving them an absolute snapshot of who they are. Now, that isn't to say that everybody that operates on these places is, of course, narcissists. Of course not. But many, many of our kind mm -hmm. operate there. Why? Because that individual can give you the snapshot of their very, very, very best, okay? And they are then able to quickly control the narrative by taking that person on a date with the expectation of it leading to something. And because our kind sniff out people who are vulnerable to this, we are instinctively able to do that. They find people who are susceptible to all of these declarations and manifestations of, of supposed remarks and people fall for it. And the problem with the online dating is twofold. It's populated by narcissists. And even when it's not, you're not getting to know that person in a solid and sensible environment, you meet on a date and you've both got raised expectations. It's doomed to fail. And so for all of the guff that is put out by these dating sites saying X amount of people meet through particular dating site.com, mm -hmm. they don't give you the statistics as to how many of those relationships fail. They don't give you the statistics as to the amount of people that find themselves falling into the clutches of an abuser. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a whole different avenue. Mm. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, because that that the online is um, you're getting a the the best interview, if you will, of this person. You're not even like you said, getting to see them in their natural environment, mm. like how they just naturally move. Uh, you know, you get a, it's right. like a this is my this is my this is my resume. Here you go. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to tell you I'm psycho, actually, uh, and I'll, I'll probably stab you if you say something I don't like. Well, you know, and indeed, of course, that individual doesn't think that they're a psycho because very few do. Yeah. What they do is they think <laughs> she's the psycho because from the narcissist's mm -hmm. perspective, he thinks that the victim is the problem. 
because she isn't doing what he wants from his perspective. And then that challenges the narcissist's control of the situation, which results in a particular response from the narcissist. We, when we engage with people, whether it's romantically, socially, um, business-wise, the manipulation starts from the beginning, and it's a seduction in inverted commas. So when we meet somebody who becomes a friend, yes, we don't take them in arms and kiss them, but we will be charming and flattering and polite. But all that is is a benign form of manipulation to bring them under our control. Similarly, when it's a romantic setting, that's when you get the full-on love bombing, as it's called, again, to bring that person under control. And so every action of the narcissist, whether benign or malign, is designed to assert control because that is what we need. And if I was able to give you a pair of spectacles which gave you narc vision, if you looked at a scene in the world and we, and we froze it for a moment and you saw the, the narcissist handing somebody a bunch of flowers and then I gave you the spectacles, what you would then see is a matrix of a percentage of control over that individual and basically, the act of giving the flowers would, would read in code, this is a benign act of control by the narcissist to control this individual who is viewed as an appliance. Move it forward slightly, he offers somebody a lift instead. Freeze frame it, put the specs on. This benign act of offering somebody a lift is an act of control designed to bring the appliance under the control of the narcissist. The narcissist, of course, doesn't stand there thinking, I know, I'll provide her with these flowers so I can control her. It doesn't work like that for the majority of narcissists. All right. So I guess that's my question, right? So for the majority of narcissists out there who are not aware, because you, you're, you're self-aware, you're one of the very few. That's right. So there's a small, very small percentage of us who have the self-awareness, but the vast majority, 99.5% of narcissists don't know what they are and never will do. Okay. So for that vast majority who does not know, but are they aware yeah. of what's going on within them? Because they're doing all the love bombing, but Imagine do they double, actually think they're in love with that other person? They do. Imagine a double-decker bus. Okay. Okay. On the lower level of the bus, this is the narcissist's unconscious mind. And it's actually driving the bus. And on that lower level, it's saying, we exist purely to control everybody around us because that's what this as a self-defense mechanism is designed to do. Everything I do is about control, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Upon the upper deck, which is, what, which is all the narcissist can see, he doesn't know there's a lower deck. On the upper deck, he thinks, I really love this person. He doesn't realize that he doesn't. He can't see that his behaviors are controlling. And if you were to say to him, do you realize that incessantly texting this lady seven times every hour, every day, even though you met her two nights ago, is not recognizing her boundary, he will just go, no, no, I'm just totally into her, man. Because his narcissism immediately defends him and deflects against that accusation. He doesn't sit there and go, hmm, you might be right about that. I'm violating her boundaries, aren't I? Thanks for raising that with me. He can't see it. His narcissism blinds him to it. And so when somebody else says to him, do you realize that you said that you f fall in love with her within a week? That doesn't make sense. That's a completely unnatural thing to do. Yeah. He, he wouldn't go, hmm, mm. thanks, man, for pointing that out to me. Yeah, you're right. How can I be in love with somebody within a week of meeting them? Okay. And this is where you get all this crap about love at first sight. Well, who invented that as a concept? We did. Wow. <laughs> oh no! That, that makes absolute perfect it's sense. True. You don't. You, you I, don't I hear you. 
It, you don't fall in love with somebody at first sight. How can you? You don't know who they are. But the people that propound that right. are us. Why? Because we have infatuation. And when we see that individual, our infatuation tells us, wow, this person is absolutely fantastic and wonderful and shiny and interesting. And gee, I love them. Because that's what the narcissism is telling the narcissist. And for a long time, I believed that I loved people. But then I came to realize as a consequence of the self-awareness that I had and the interaction with individuals that, no, it's actually infatuation. But again, the vast majority of narcissists can't see this. If you were to say to a narcissist, you don't actually love her. Oh, I do. I do. No, you don't because you do this, you do this, you do this. And he would just deflect and argue it away. So... Uh, you, you, you are trying to cause somebody who's blinded to this behavior to see it. And they just absolutely can't because the narcissism is such an effective self-defense mechanism. It always prevents them from understanding what they are, because if they did understand what they are, it would fail. And in effect, it w- there would be a breakdown. Absolutely. And I've said this time and time again, to me, the people who say they love somebody after a week, two weeks, a month, even a couple mm. months, it's just a little bit crazy to me. You don't, you don't know that person well enough yet, right? It's just preposterous. Exactly. So you may have very strong mm. feelings for someone, which is fine. You may be into somebody and, and like where it's headed, but you haven't mm. seen everything about that person to declare that you love them. You're falling in love well, with indeed. the idea of a person. That's right. Bring it to the evidence. If you look at it in cold, hard logic and say... You've declared that you love this person from the moment you met them. What is it about them that you loved? Mm -hmm. Their green eyes. Oh, right. That's the foundation for love, that they have green eyes. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? Or, well, because she's a really kind and intelligent and wonderful person. Well, how did you know that from the moment you met them? You didn't. So you've just told a lie. And, of course, the narcissist would Mm -hmm. deflect and so on and so forth. The only way... Of course, and I've learned this as time has gone on, that the and I'm incapable of it, but I can intellectually understand it, that love originates as a consequence of getting to know that individual. And it's about showing having emotional empathy for that person, being supportive, showing accountability for your behaviors in that relationship. Well, we don't do that because everything's the other person's fault or his fault over there or her fault or the man in the moon's fault can never be our fault. Because if we are accountable, we don't have control. Everything is linked to the necessity of having control over people. Have you, have you ever admitted a uh, fault ever in, in situations? There will be instances where I have done it in a conditional way. So ultimately, I will say I can understand why you might think that I am at fault. And then here comes the magic word. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> and as you've probably heard, yeah. that everything that comes before but you should ignore because it's bullshit. And so yeah. in those instances, yeah. many of the times I will uh, not be at fault because of how effective I am. In other instances, I understand that I would be attributed with fault. But if I admit it, that's a transference of power to the other person. I am not going to do that because I'm not an idiot. Many narcissists engage in false contrition. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I hit you, but you wound me up. Or I know that it hurts you and I don't talk to you for a week. However, if you didn't get on my case and keep nagging me, I wouldn't need a time out. And all that's happening there is blame shifting. I, d- I recognize that I've done something horrible to you, but I do not, I ca- I do not hold myself I do not hold any accountability, rather, 
for that behavior because I'm actually pinning the blame on you. It's basically, you made me punch you, or you made me walk out, Mm -hmm. or you made me talk gobbledygook to you, or uh, you made me go and sleep with somebody else. That's essentially what happens because... When somebody is interacting with us, if you try and pin us with accountability, if you try and offend our sense of entitlement, if you try and offend our sense of superiority, we feel like we've no longer got control. And in those circumstances, what happens is we feel weak and we feel powerless. And that's not allowed to happen. And so the narcissism steps in as a self-defense mechanism to prevent that happening. So we deflect, we project, we blame shift, we deny word salad, all the various manipulations that people have experienced occur. Uh, that, that it reminds me of the movie American Psycho. <laughs> uh, you, you know who I'm talking mm-hmm. what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, right? Because he he's just he's hilarious mm-hmm. in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's one it's one of my favorite movies. It's it's, it's one of mine as well. I, I had I had a uh, a long stint where I was uh that person. Mm-hmm. You know um as far as like you, you, it was because of you that I stopped talking to you mm-hmm. or that I walked away or X, Y, Z. And then I, I, because of the marriage that I'm in and that I actually do, like we do love each other. Mm-hmm. I made that change and I'm not like pulling my coattails or, you know, lifting myself up high, but I still have moments of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I guess I am partially narcissistic. People, well, people are bundles. Um, apart from narcissists, people are bundled of empathic traits and narcissistic traits. And human beings are, are complex, and there's a spectrum. And so you have empathic people. They will have narcissistic traits. Empathic people aren't saints. They can make mistakes. They can do bad things. But generally, those are the people who are most susceptible to us, easiest to ensnare, and stay ensnared. Then you have normals mm-hmm. who make up the bulk of the population. And what normals have, they also have emotional empathy. But their emotional empathy is limited in radius, okay? So so your empath cares about the homeless man several blocks away, volunteers at the church to help people, donates to charity, okay? Is concerned about the fate of the children in Bangladesh when there's been a natural disaster there. The normal individual basically wants to get through life with their head down without too much inconvenience, But they do have emotional empathy, and they have it in spades, but for a limited radius of people around them. So Mm. their children, their parents, a couple of friends, maybe the neighbor, and a colleague at work. And if any of those individuals found themselves in difficulty, they wouldn't hesitate to help them. But would they donate money to the homeless guy several blocks down? Probably not. They'd walk past him. Do they care about donating money uh, to help those children in Bangladesh? Probably not. If an empath came along and said, I'm collecting, they might reluctantly go, oh, okay. And they would assist, but that's only because they've basically been nudged into doing it. They wouldn't instinctively do it. So normal people, which make up the bulk of the population on this planet, do have emotional empathy, but just for really those around them. And that's who they look after. Then you have narcissistic people. Narcissistic people have more narcissistic traits than empathic traits, and they have some emotional empathy, but it's very low indeed. And these are the individuals who are often pop stars and sports people. And, of course, many are narcissists also. Um, But narcissistic individuals are often performers because you have to be. 
you have to have that grandiosity. You have to have that sort of being the center of attention. They have limited empathy. So they can often have the old diva strop with people and not give, um, not care about other individuals. But then when it's pointed out to them, adjust their behavior because they realize, yeah, actually, I ought not to have done that. So, again, they don't have an instinctive break on their behavior. But when it's pointed out to them, and it is genuine, their response, whereas we as narcissists, we don't have any emotional empathy whatsoever. Some of us have cognitive empathy. I know. So, for example, if one of you two was upset about circumstances, let's say you'd lost your job or a relationship had ended, and it suited my purposes to control you, I could say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about that. Come and have a beer with me. Tell me all about it. But that's the cognitive empathy. I know that's what's expected of me, as say, if I'm your friend, to say that to you. But if it does not suit my purposes to do that, I'll go, and you ring and you go, hey, HG, she's left me. I'm really upset. Can we crack open a beer? I go, sorry, I've got to return some videotapes, as Bayman would say, and off he goes. Because he doesn't have <laughs> he's more concerned with what matters to him and has no emotional empathy. And if it suits, yeah, the cognitive empathy is displayed, but it's basically we have no sense of obligation, no sense of accountability. So the narcissist doesn't love his children. Right. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. Why? Because he's incapable of it. And that can never change because you can't inject emotional empathy into us. The cake is already baked. It can't be, can't be changed. <laughs> so yeah. you're telling me that if you're a true narcissist, you don't have the ability to love at all? No. Really? I, I can do a damn good impression of what people think love is, but it's not genuine. Mm-hmm. So you just don't feel it? Just don't feel it. It's, it's emptiness. All right. So what I, what I really want to get to is with narcissism is what everyone talks about. And that's relationships. That's right. Right. That's what everyone talks about. Narcissism with their exes and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple angles I want to attack and it's, and I'm glad we're talking to you because you're that, that very small percentage that actually is cognizant Uh that you are a narcissist and you understand it. Um, when Mm -hmm. most don't, but it's confusing for people, in particular women, and I say that just because I, I get a lot of questions from women through you know emails and whatnot about this, is how do they know? Mm-hmm. Like, how do they know when yeah. it's real and when it's not? Because we are so conditioned as society, right? And we're conditioned to, to mm-hmm. think that love is supposed to look and mm-hmm. feel a certain way, right? It's supposed to be the, like you said, the grand gestures and the head over heels stuff. Okay. <clears throat> so how can somebody tell when there's true love or, you know, someone's really doing that because they truly love them or they're okay. doing that because they're trying to trick them and they're a narcissist. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. Well, as you say, many people that their experience arises in a romantic setting and when they learn about narcissism, mm-hmm. because nobody spots us the first time, nobody goes, Oh, this guy is being over generous with me and texting me a lot and wanting to spend all his time with me. He's a narcissist. Nobody spots that. It, they usually, some never find out. Many work it out later on when it goes into the stage of devaluation, when our victims are treated badly by us. And then when people learn about it, they look back and they realize that the four previous relationships with that one were also with narcissists. And they realize that their father is a narcissist and one of their friends is. And they start to realize that they're surrounded by them because empathic people draw narcissists to them as they are also attracted to the narcissist. So for an individual in terms of determining, is this person potentially a narcissist? Remember, there are many red flags. One red flag in itself is only indicative 
and is not determinative. So people often ask me on my blog, for instance, HG, um, we were having sex and in the middle of it, he started choking me and called me his bitch. Is he a narcissist? Now, I would say to that individual, that's a red flag and a serious one because there's a boundary violation, a lack of emotional empathy and personal insult. So there's a significant potential that that person is. But based upon one behavior, one cannot make an accurate determination. And what one has to look at is, is there a range of behaviors that this person has engaged in that you can draw a determination from? So at the outset of a relationship, the things that you'd need to be looking for are, do does the individual engage in these grand declarations? I feel as if I've known you forever. You're my soulmate. The love at first sight, as we've touched on, those types of things. Is there a lot of use of that? Secondly, is the individual vague about uh, their own circumstances, where if you ask them a question, they're a little bit evasive? That's a red flag. Similarly, if the individual is uh, one that starts buying you a lot of gifts, that's a red flag. Okay? If they always insist on paying for you, or if they don't offer to pay and expect you to pay, that's a red flag. Then, are they dismissive if talk gets onto the X? Because invariably people say, oh, you know, how long have you been dating or have you been single for long? And a normal empathic person will say, yeah, I've been single for four years. Previous relationship, it didn't work out. He had to move away for work. You know, he was a good guy, but it didn't work out. And then they come back to talking about something else. So they explain the circumstances. Often the narcissist will say, well, yeah, you know, um, some of the less evolved ones will say, yeah, I've been uh, single for a couple of days. What, you're dating already? And they don't see that how that looks. Mm-hmm. Others will be a little more sophisticated and will say, yeah, I've been single for about three, six months, which would probably be a lie. And it's a shorter period of time, but they tell the lie. And they'll start saying things such as, well, yeah, phew, don't get me started on my ex. What a crazy bitch she was. And she did this and she was, you know, the, the archetypal bunny boiler. That oversharing of information is transgressing a boundary. It also shows a lack of emotional empathy. And a lack of emotional empathy for the person that they're talking about, assuming it were true, and a lack of emotional empathy for the listener. They don't want to hear all of this. But moreover, if somebody is complaining that bitterly about the way that they've been treated, that's a red flag. Now, understand, people, of course, are victims of narcissists and may well say quite legitimately, my ex was loco. But what they don't do is share that to a huge extent when they first meet somebody who's a stranger. They will explain that. So they might say, yeah, the last relationship was a little bit difficult, so I'm pleased it was over. You know, I ended it six months ago. And they don't talk about anything more until they feel comfortable with the person that they're talking to and then may gradually explain to them more and more, I was in an abusive relationship. Somebody who you meet early on who basically says the ex was a nutcase, he was flaming crazy, and he did this and he did this and he did this, there's a good chance you're talking to a narcissist because that's what narcissists do, smear the X because they're now painted black. So that's another red flag to watch out for. The other is monopolization of time. It is not a healthy behavior for someone to be texting you incessantly saying, hey, 
you know, what's up, hot lips, what are you doing today, and compliment after compliment, okay? It feels nice to receive it, and the people who are susceptible to narcissists get drawn in by that because what should be happening is they should think, this man is texting me several times an hour all through the day. I wake up to text that he sent in the night. He rings me. We spend hours on the telephone. Yes, it feels very nice, and he's all very polite and complimentary, but he doesn't know me. And this is this is invading my time. Another boundary violation, a lack of emotional empathy for how this behavior is being received. She has a sense of entitlement. I'll text you whenever I want. I don't have any regard for your personal space. And so when somebody's doing that, that is a significant red flag also. And of course, if you were to say to the narcissist or suspected narcissist, can we just cool it with the texts? He'll go, oh, and he might act mm-hmm. a bit hurt. Well, I thought you liked it. I do, but it's just a little bit much. And at that juncture, he will probably cool it a little bit to fit in, and then it'll start up again. Or if your request is met with, oh, sod you, then you know you were dealing with a narcissist. Because what you've done is you've challenged the narcissist by saying, I am telling you not to do something. Unconsciously, the narcissist then feels like they're being controlled. And in such circumstances, their response is one of basically, well, stuff you, I'm out of here. And we'll break off the seduction. So that's just a range of things. And I write about, in one of my books, it's called Red Flag, 50 of these red flags that you can look for. And if you start to spot six or seven of them, then you really ought to head in the opposite direction. One or two, problematic and uh, slightly problematic, but shouldn't lead to that person being a narcissist. Remember, normal and empathic people make the mistake of following certain behaviors because the, the narcissists are leading the narrative. So take, for example, selfies. Narcissists love selfies, the self-promotion that goes with it, but normal empathic people do it as well. Why? Because they're copying, and human beings copy one another. So, mm-hmm. But somebody who takes a lot of selfies, it's a red flag, but if that's the only thing that you found that they do that corresponds with the red flags that I talk about, you shouldn't worry about it, and you've probably just got a normal or empathic person who's just engaging in a narcissistic behavior because they're being influenced by a societal uh, behavior at large. If, of course, you see the, the selfie, incessant selfie-taking and the self-promotion on social media alongside the incessant texting of you and the monopolization of time and the grand gestures, then the red flags are starting to stack up. Okay, well, let me let me ask you this question then. Certainly. Are narcissists often drawn to each other? For example, let's let's paint this picture. You have a narcissist woman who's shaming their ex, yeah. calling them crazy, deflecting blame, painting them black, as you as you mentioned earlier. Wouldn't a narcissistic male yeah. see that woman as vulnerable, yeah. swoop in and say, "Hey, there's a vulnerable woman that I could take advantage of. I can love bomb," hence controlling her. Do okay. they do they draw narcissists, and attract that way? Narcissists do collide. Yeah, that happens. And um, when you see those relationships which are really tempestuous, that's likely to be two narcissists that have collided with one another. It happens because, remember, most don't know what they are, and they will not be able to spot another narcissist. They will just feel, oh, and you get the situation because narcissists mirror. Okay? And so, in effect, the first narcissist say, hey, um." I'm really into football, okay? And, got, and the other narcissist will immediately mirror by going, yeah, so am I. And then they may say, oh, I like horse riding. And then the other narcissist will mirror that, yeah, so do I. And they keep mirroring one another. 
and they don't pick up on the fact that they are both narcissists. It's only, of course, that when they get beyond the seduction, because if they're both trying to seduce one another, they've got a common aim, creating a relationship together. So that at that early juncture, they don't so much feel controlled because they want to seduce that person and they are responding with enthusiasm and zest. And therefore, the narcissist feels that they are controlling the other narcissist. So there isn't a problem. It's only when... <laughs> they start to find that the other person's fuel, as I call it, which is the emotional content, the emotional response becomes stale. And that will happen very quickly. The, the first narcissist thinks, ah, oh, and this is unconscious, remember, this person's fuel is stale. I'm bored of them. So I need to switch it up here now. And I'm going to punish them by treating them nastily because I'll shift to from the positive fuel, which is when they're being nice, to the negative fuel when they upset that person and they're angry and they're hurt. And so what then happens is the other narcissist similarly gets bored and fights back. And they're both trying to devalue one another. And they'll fight against that up to a point and then break off because they'll be challenging one another and challenging one another and challenging one another. Whereas if there is a non-narcissist in the mix, the non-narcissist won't keep challenging because the empath will back down and go, okay, forget about it. I don't want to argue anymore. You're right. I'm wrong. What has the narcissist got? Control. But two narcissists do collide and invariably, dependent upon what school they belong to, the narcissists, uh, certain of the narcissist couplings are absolutely chaotic and catastrophic. Others can actually last for a long time because there's a mutual gain for them to have. Right. It, it, I, you had me um, kind of laughing there where it was kind of like the aha moment where they're like pointing at each other. Like I just figured, I just figured <laughs> out that I'm, I'm dealing with another narcissist. Well, in a sense, yes, but no, at an unconscious level, their narcissism, if it had a voice suddenly realizes we can't control this person. I'm out. <laughs> we need to get I'm out. And the other person is doing exactly the same, but consciously neither knows that the other is a narcissist. But funnily enough, they may they may well label that person as a narcissist. Why? Narcissists are very good at going around calling other people narcissists. They've read about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is where it gets even stranger. Take the narcissist, and he goes out with his wife, and they come back, and they're sat at home, and he says, hey, do you know something, wife? Have you seen the way that... Peter is towards his wife. He's always making little comments about her in public, putting her down. And his wife looks at him and goes, are you for real? You do that to me. And he turns to her and goes, no, I don't. He can see it in other people, but he can't see it himself because his narcissism blinds him to it. Right. And so that's what really messes with the mind of the victim because she thinks he can see that kind of unpleasant behavior in his friend towards his friend's wife, but he can't see it in himself. He must surely know what he's doing and he's having me over here. Well, he's not. His narcissism just doesn't let him see it because many things that human beings do, leaving aside the question of narcissism, are habitual things that they don't realize that they are doing. With the narcissist, it goes beyond that. These are habitual hardwired behaviors, but moreover, the narcissism as a self-defense mechanism will not allow the majority of narcissists to know what they are in order to make it effective, because they have to enforce control quickly. So take, for example, you're walking down the sidewalk and there is a loud bang. What do you do? You shrink down straight away. You don't go, oh, 
there was a loud bang. There might be an explosion or something falling. I better make myself small to avoid injury. Because if you had to think about it, you'd be too slow and a piece of shrapnel would hit you. You do it automatically. Narcissism's the same. It has to act quickly to enforce the control. So the narcissist who is who is less evolved, shall we say, what I call the lesser and mid-range narcissist, they are not blessed with that inherent capability. And instead, the narcissism is a self-defense mechanism, like an autopilot that is placed upon them and does it for them because they lack the ability to do it themselves. And it happens automatically. And they don't know what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you go as far to say that everybody has a little bit of narcissism, a trait like a narcissistic trait in them? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. P- people exhibit jealousy. They exhibit pride. Okay. Some people have um, a narcissistic trait of infidelity. It, even people who are empathic might cheat. Why? Normally, it's usually because a narcissist has come along. Right. And then snare. Okay. Them. Um, I deal with I deal with numerous people who were in a relationship and cheated on their partner with a narcissist. Why? They're an empath, and and their partner isn't an, a narcissist. But when the narcissist comes sniffing, they would never ordinarily cheat with anybody else. But if a narcissist comes by, they have they are drawn to the narcissist. The narcissist sniffs them out, and their emotional empathy for their partner, which means they ordinarily wouldn't cheat, is eroded by the presence of the narcissist. So they cheat. They feel bad about it, mm-hmm. but they have an addiction to the narcissist. Right. And like the drug addict that has to take the drug and knows that it's wrong that he's stealing his mum's um, grocery money, but still does it because his emotional empathy mm-hmm. for his mother has been eroded by his addiction, right. the power of his addiction to drugs. Similarly, the empath who is addicted to the narcissist, their emotional empathy for their partner is reduced, so they cheat. Wow. Mm. So empaths, empaths aren't saints. They can make mistakes. Now, not all empaths cheat. Many of them don't, but some do. I call them the dirty empath. <laughs> you dirty bastard, you. <laughs> <laughs> I should really call them. It was the thing that's coming up to Christmas. I should call them filthy empaths. So to say, Merry Christmas, you filthy empaths. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, this yeah. has been a- I might change that. Yeah. Okay, so is there hope for a narcissist to be in a relationship, a healthy one, a successful one? For example, what, what is your experience with relationships? Are you are you in one now currently? I am in one. Okay, so can you speak to that? Is there any hope for that? Basically, um, I always explain to my readers, never rely upon hope. She's a false mistress. Instead, seize control of the situation for yourself. You can never control a narcissist. When you're in a relationship, okay, you can't control the narcissist because the narcissist is not designed to be controlled. When you realize that you're with a narcissist, you obey the first golden rule of freedom, which is once you know, you go, you get out and you stay out. (laughs) If you think that you can manage the relationship with the narcissist, you're being conned by emotional thinking. You must remove yourself. You can't control us. We're there to control you. You must remove yourself from us. And if you do that and cut off all ties as soundly and as effectively as you can, you will force the narcissist to go elsewhere. Makes sense. Yeah. So because narcissists have a need for control, how are they with ex lovers or partners? Right? Will they have, will they have the ability to move on yeah. or will they need to always have that control yes, yes, and knowing yes that and the no. other partner still wants them? There are two strands to this. 
There is the formal relationship, so what you'd understand as husband and wife, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend and boyfriend, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Now, that relationship ends, so that formal relationship is over. And what the narcissist is very, very good at doing is ending that former relationship and not even looking back, not not even looking backwards, but getting on that horse and riding into the sunset. And that person who's been dumped and often isn't even told that's what happened thinks, how could he be so callous? He's just gone. Or he's gone off with somebody else. I can't believe he moved on so quickly. And because we have no sense of guilt, no sense of remorse, no compassion and no emotional empathy, we can do that. The second strand to all of this is the narcissistic relationship, which works like this. Once you have been ensnared by us, you belong to us until either you die or we die. That doesn't mean that we are going to engage with you each and every day for the rest of your life. But what it means is that if there is an opportunity to control you and controlling the steps to control you are easier than not controlling you, then we will come back and lay some kind of claim on you. doesn't mean we will start the relationship up again with you, although that often the narcissist attempts to do it. We might just come along, and this is called hoovering, to draw fuel from you, an emotional response which signals to us that we've got control over you. And so we might come back and sleep with you one night and then disappear again. Or we come back and say, you were, um, I'm really sorry, I treated you really badly. Why? The current girlfriend is now in devaluation. She's painted black, so the old one automatically becomes painted white in that scenario. And so the narcissist's thinking shifts because we only think in black and white. So current girlfriend, bad, I hate everything about her. The fact that she looks like a model doesn't interest me anymore because she's vain and she spends all the time down the gym and is more concerned about how she looks than caring for me. Old girlfriend who was a bit frumpy and dumpy doesn't matter. Uh, Now she's painted white. That is viewed. Once upon a time, the fact that she was a bit frumpy and dumpy meant that she would say, oi, fatty, get down the gym. You need to lose some weight when she was painted black. When she's painted white, no, I like the fact that she's homely. (laughs) Narcissists were contrarians and hypocrites because as long as we have control over those people, we will say and do anything. Right. It's like, yeah. um, this is good. It's completely about control, like in a, in a whole different level of it. everything, uh, like a whole different level. Yeah. I think, is it, is it like a sense of euphoria knowing you have a person, uh, like kind of pegged and you can just, <clears throat> you know, keep them where you want them? Is it, does it, does that like, well, remember, <clears throat> remember for someone like me, who's aware you're right. There is, I love to own people draw them in and make my own. I am entertained by puppeting people. It amuses me. Okay? <laughs> but most narcissists but most narcissists don't think that way. They think that they love that person. Unconsciously, they feel fueled by knowing that they've got control of that person at an unconscious level. The narcissism knows that. But the narcissist doesn't. He just thinks, oh yeah, I'm in love with this person. They're really cool. And then If that person goes and talks to another man at the bar, he feels wounded because her fuel is being directed to someone else and not him. Therefore, he doesn't feel that he's in control. Therefore, his fury ignites and he goes over and punches the guy and calls her a slag. Damn. Because that's an instinctive, heated fury reaction, a visceral and automatic self-defense mechanism of, say, a lesser narcissist to go over and behave that way. And when she comes with him, he does not think to himself, great, I've got my bird, I've got everything under control here again, everything's fine. He just 
unconsciously feels better because the response from the guy who's fallen backwards go, oh, my nose, as it's been punched, and she's going, oh, what are you doing, has validated his existence. He's not being ignored anymore. Right. And the fact that she leaves with him is her emotional response because she's going, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. He was only just talking to me. But that's validating his existence. Mm-hmm. And at an unconscious level, he feels in control, but consciously doesn't realize that's what's going on. For an awareness such as myself, it is all about the delight of puppeting people and controlling them and making them mine. Right. It's, that's, that sounds exhausting almost. Well, it would to you because yeah, you're not an artist. Yeah. You just want yeah. to say that. It, it, and you're, yeah. It's a frequent comment. That sounds exhausting to be that way. And it is for some narcissists because they're not that good at doing it. And they have very haphazard lifestyles. Right. They lose their job because they're always, they're always falling out with people. They, they cycle through friends. Why? Because they, they turn around and say, oh, he's an asshole. And it's my way or the highway. Right. And <clears throat> so they can have other, other narcissists are successful. And they might be pretty passive aggressive in their behaviors. And then you get others who are hugely successful and captains of industry, pop stars, politicians, yeah. world leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the, the less evolved ones, if I can put it that way, will find it exhausting because they're always scratching around trying to assert control because they've not got a very good toolkit for doing right. it. And so what happens is they try and control that person mm-hmm. and they manage for a bit and then it misfires. And so they, they're forced to go and find somebody else. And then it misfires, so they have to go and find somebody. And they're always running around searching for scraps, in a sense. So for them, it's exor- that is exhausting because their fuel levels are always relatively low. Whereas greater narcissists are, have huge fuel matrices, are very good at manipulating people, and the fuel never runs down. And so it's not exhausting because we are slick and professional and so effective at doing it that we just like sucking that fuel in all of the time, which sustains us. So we don't have that haphazard life like they do. So to you, it sounds exhausting. To me, it's second nature. Right. So it's not exhausting. And you have like multiple fuel with, with the way you put it, multiple fuel sources all at once. Yeah. Right. I break it down so people can understand this in a book called Fuel. Oh, shit. Okay. Fantastic book. Right. Many people will love reading it because it gives them a really good understanding of it all. And basically, I break it down into tertiary sources, strangers, acquaintances, secondary sources, friends, colleagues, family, okay, intimate secondary sources, girl on the side, booty call, mistress, and then your then primary sources, which is usually intimate partner, primary source, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. And most narcissists have a primary source because that primary source feeds all of the needs for that particular narcissist. And that's the person who is controlled the most. And that's the person who is idealized to begin with, and then their life is made hell in varying degrees. And everybody else might not know what's going on. Because the narcissist operates a facade and is pillar of the community. And Mr. Nice Guy, he's the pastor at the church which everybody loves. But when he goes home, he sits and sulks or calls his wife horrible names and doesn't give her emotional support or he might be physically violent towards her. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, are your, uh, where, can, where can the listeners find your books? On Amazon. Okay. So if they go to, go to Amazon, search for H.G. Tudor, they'll find all of my books there. Awesome. And... They are written in a way which enables people to make sense of their situation. So I have no psychological qualifications. I, contrary to what people think, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So I don't use all of those terms. 
I have a lexicon that I created to enable people to understand it. I understand my kind inside out because I am one and I've been amongst and around my kind for a significant period of time. I'm a very clever man and I study it and understand it. And I've had the input of psychologists myself in terms of the therapy that I've been involved with. And all of that, readers get some benefit of it all placed in an easy to understand way, which links in with their experiences. So for instance, I explain why does the narcissist not respond to text messages, what that means, why that behavior is being uh, engaged in, rather than using the scientific terms where people go, well, what the dickens does that mean? Right, right. So, yep, they can find them all on Amazon. And then to the to the readers, don't, when you read these books, don't don't divorce your wife or, or you know, just take, take a minute to make sure that you're understanding what you're reading. Exactly. And what people do is, it is is that they once they've, they've read the material and they make sense of a situation, they invariably come to me and arrange to consult with me. So I offer consultations where I can confirm whether the individual is a narcissist or not. Right. And and I also can explain to people. So only today, I insisted a, uh, assisted a range of people. Uh, one individual wanted to understand the circumstances with their ex boyfriend. That's fairly common in terms of why does he keep coming back. Another lady was trying to handle a narcissist at work, which was making her life difficult. Another was a businessman who was in a legal dispute with a narcissist. So I consult with people across a wide range of areas because we crop up everywhere (laughs) and people don't realize, oh, actually, that's a narcissist. And when, when you understand the subject and you read my work and you consult with me, you then realize, oh, do you know something? If only I'd known this 10 years ago, all these pain in the arse clients that I've had, mm-hmm. I'd have realized there was no point me busting my balls trying to please them because it was impossible. And what I should have done was just say, there's your money back. Goodbye. Right. And their life would have been a lot simpler. All right. HG, before we get you out of here, because we are running out of time. time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something earlier that caught my attention, right? And when everyone hears about narcissists or have questions, it's always about the red flags and how do you spot one. But you alluded to this earlier, stating that a narcissist will often yes. call their ex or the person that they're with a narcissist. They'll call someone else a narcissist, even though they are one. So how do you know when how you're... How do you know you're not a narcissist? Exactly. Is that what you're asking? Right, exactly. Very easy. Very easy. Very easy. Okay? If you ask yourself, am I a narcissist? Mm-hmm. You're not one. Why? Because a a lesser or mid-range narcissist, those are the unaware ones, would never question themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you're a greater narcissist like me, you already know what you are, so you'd never have to ask the question. (laughs) So Say it proudly, like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. So, consequently, if you find yourself, somebody accused me of being a narcissist, am I one? You're not. Right. Because if that accusation is made of an actual narcissist, he would go, uh, no, I'm not. What on earth are you talking about? I can't be one. You're the narcissist. Because the narcissism causes the narcissist to reject it. Mm. So if you find yourself thinking, well, I've read his work and I sound like one of these, you're not. Because a narcissist would read my work and not recognize it. Right. Cognitive dissonance. Com- completely deflect and, and Yeah. And the greater wouldn't read my work because he wouldn't need to or she wouldn't need to because they already know. And so 
if a lesser, because some people say, HG, are you not concerned that narcissists read your blog and they become more effective at what they read? I go, no, because the ones that come there and some narcissists do come to my blog and I spot them straight away, they don't realize what they are. So they don't come along and go, ooh, I'm a narcissist. Let's go and read what HG Tudor's got to say about it. And I'll learn some new manipulative techniques because <laughs> they don't know they're narcissists. They turn up thinking they're a victim and they want to understand how to get away from the narcissist. You can't look in the mirror. The motherfucker's right there. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, this is a really good talk. It was an excellent talk. Very insightful. Yes. HG, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Truly. Yes, I enjoyed speaking to you both. Thank you for inviting me on, and um, hopefully we can do it again. Oh, we we, we definitely will, because I'm going to sit here and ask myself a, fuck, a couple questions. <laughs> but that, 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 that clearly says I'm not a narcissist, so I learned that. There you are, exactly. I learned something. Exactly. <laughs> you think that was cool? All right, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I know I did. Always interesting when you get to dive into the mind of a diagnosed psychopath it was very interesting um just a reminder to make sure you subscribe to whatever platform it is you are listening to us on right now so that could be itunes spotify stitcher google play hit that subscribe button be sure you don't miss out on any upcoming shows thanks again talk to you later